It's our final week in our study of the book of James. It's, uh, it's a great book, isn't it? What a letter. It's so very practical. Um, we, we started by saying that it's sort of a, it's kind of a rallying call to, for, for believers to play our game and not get sucked into the way the world lives. So we talked 11 little micro teachings in the book of James that we followed through. We, we, we talked about favoritism and love and then faith and works in the practical way of what faith looks like. We talked about taming the tongue, which is really about taming the heart first. We talked about wisdom from above rather than man's wisdom. We talked about pride versus humility, how to confront a person without judging. We talked about boasting in Jesus and nothing else. Then we talked about wealth and riches and, and, and God's favor he shows towards the ones last picked. And then patience and suffering and the problem of swearing oaths. And then last week, uh, Pastor Janelle talked about prayer as our common practice. Wasn't that a good word, by the way? So we, then finally we come to this last little bit when James is just throwing out these little things that all connect to the words of Jesus. And it's also very practical. And the last one is about restoring others. And, and, and here's the text, uh, James 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now remember, James was writing to people who already followed Jesus. And the verse is, is predicated on the fact that, on, on, on the belief that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father except through him, that he is the way to God. And, and if, you, if you don't believe that's true, then this verse won't matter very much to you. But if you do, if you believe that he is the way to the Father, then this is an essential verse for all of us who follow him to heed. So I want to just sort of unpack this verse and talk about what this can look like. What does it look like for a person to wander away from the truth? And then what does it look like for that person to be restored? So first, the wandering. This could, this could look a, a few different ways, and, and the two come to mind immediately. The first is, is wandering away from like theological tenets of the faith. As in, I no longer believe in the existence of God, or I no longer believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, um, it's, I think a lot of people lately, we hear this a lot of people going through a period of deconstruction. Have you heard that, that term? It's been kind of a buzzword lately. Um, of uh, unpacking things they learned, especially in childhood. In fact, unpacking pieces of their faith and going, hmm, this now doesn't, I always accepted this, but this doesn't seem to add up. And, and going through a, a, a process of sort of pulling something apart and seeing if it goes back together. And it's something that we're seeing left and right that that can either lead to something being strengthened or it can lead to deconversion. And we're seeing people left and right, um, especially people who maybe were once prominent in the evangelical world, saying I'm no longer a believer. And another one just happened uh, again yesterday. Somebody came out and saying I'm an ex-evangelical. <laughs> I am no longer in the church. I no longer believe. Um, so that could be one way it looks. And, and I want to um, 
I want to just acknowledge something. We're seeing so much of this lately, and it's not just out there in social media. Uh, it, it's, it's very often people we, we love dearly and are suddenly feeling this, this crisis of faith. And um, I want to recommend a resource to you. I'm actually going to reference it a little bit more. But this is a book that I just read that's, that's wonderful. Uh, it's called After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. We even have it on the slide there. It's by uh, A.J. Swoboda, who is a professor uh, actually at Bushnell in Eugene. Uh, and it's a wonderful resource for a person both who, who is experiencing these questions and is now not sure where they stand. And also to those of us who love them and want to be able to be there to field those questions, to react uh, in, a, in a godly way and in a helpful way. I, I think this is a book everybody should read. I, I really do. I think it's, it's really profound and very helpful. Um, so we'll get back to that. But th that's the first scenario of a person wandering. It's, it's uh, wandering theologically in the things they intellectually believe. But there's another scenario I think that is very much implied in the context of the book of James. See, all throughout this book, we've been hearing things that are tangible, you know? Like, it's, this isn't a deep theological book like Romans or Hebrews. It's, it's not going to go, like, super deep into, uh, into, into doctrine. It's much more about, look, where does the rubber meet the road? You know, all the way through. This is the way of Jesus. It's about a tangible, very practical faith. And, uh, and he, now he ends the letter, after all of this practical talk, he ends the letter saying, if anyone wanders away from the truth, go after them. And what truth is he talking about? Well, maybe it's, it doesn't seem to be referring to creeds and prayers. He seems to be referring to all the things he's just been talking about. In other words, how to live your life like Jesus. The wanderers, then, include not only those who no longer intellectually believe, but also those who have stopped practically following the way of Jesus. In other words, their theology might, might be spot on. Nothing might have changed there. But in practice, you would never know that this person is a follower of Jesus Christ because they do not resemble him at all. They might have been raised in the church, might have read all the books and know all the songs and, 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 and still have zero idea on how to love their neighbor. And I wanna, I wanna say this, I think that's backsliding also. I think Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 13. You can have all these things, if you have love, you have nothing. And Jesus warned us that on the last day there'll be many people who are like, give God their entire spiritual resume. But he says, depart from me, I never knew you. It's possible to believe up here without it being a reality in your life. In either case, whether a person has rejected belief in Christ or the way of Christ, what does James tell us to do? Let's read it again. This time from the message published by the good folks at NAV Press. My dear friends, if you know people, that was for you, Jen. If you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Isn't that good? Go after them. 
get them back. Now notice this. This is precisely what Jesus himself did. This is, this, this is the incarnation. He came after us. Like he came down here and then went after us. This is exactly what he did. James is essentially saying, do what Jesus did. Do that thing. Now, it also made me think of the parable Jesus told in, in Matthew 18. It's more of a scenario than a parable, but he says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than uh, uh, over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This was the mission of Jesus. He is the good shepherd who came after us and is committed to the restoration of those who have left the flock. We were going in one direction and now we're going in another direction because of him. There's a theological term for that turnabout. It's repentance. And that sounds like a very musty kind of religious word but it simply means a turnabout. You're going this way, and now you're going this way. And when we come to him, that's what happens. It's, it's a turnabout. It's, a, it's a going from the path of self-allegiance to the path of Christ-allegiance. You trade your autonomy for citizenship in his kingdom. It's more than just a ticket to heaven. I actually kind of loathe that term, to be honest. It's admission into his kingdom. It's a whole change in allegiance. So here's the question. How does that change happen? How does that turnaround take place? How does Christ bring a wanderer to repentance? Well, the first thing I would say this is that he doesn't coerce. He doesn't force himself into our lives. He calls. One of the stories um, Dr. Swoboda tells in here is, is a, 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 uh, a girl who was raised in a, a very rigid religious family. And uh, it was difficult for her growing up because her faith was very much emphasized and there was a lot of control. And she never felt like she had any space. Like her the thing that always riled her up is the way her mother would just barge into her room and never knock or never give her any space. It was all, there was all just a very kind of top down. It was a really rigid thing and she hated that, she, that her mom would just barge in. Well, she went to college and <clears throat> she started thinking about her faith and about her growing up and she started doing that deconstruction. She started pulling things apart, going, does this make sense? Wait a minute, does this make sense? And I always took this for granted. And she started having a bit of a crisis of faith, thinking, I don't know if this adds up. And certainly I didn't feel this truth coming from my family. And so she wasn't sure what she was going to do as she was in school. And then one day she was reading in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, when Jesus said this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I don't barge in. And it hit her. Jesus is different. 
He doesn't kick the door open and, 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 and scream. He stands at the door and knocks. And it was so different and precious and profound to her that it saved her faith. And she felt the truth of it, that Jesus even knocking on her door and calling her home. See, Jesus is different. He's just different, you know? People coerce, people manipulate. That's the way of the world. But the way of Jesus with the sinner is consistent. It is not his forcefulness that leads to repentance. It is his kindness. The kindness of God leads to repentance. He wins them back through kindness. Back in the day, people used to use the term soul winning. It's not something we hear very often, but it's based on that, that proverb, he who wins souls is wise. And, and it kind of reflects, too, I think, what, what Jesus told his fishermen disciples uh, who knew all about fishing, who knew all about winning fish from the sea. And he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. We will fish for people. We will win people, individual hearts and souls. That's what we're going to do is win them. Now, like I say, we don't talk a lot about that nowadays. And I fear right now the, the climate that we're in doesn't give us much space for that. You know why? Because we're a whole lot more interested in winning arguments. And this is a tragedy. I feel like sometimes we would, we would rather watch the mic drop. We would rather... Watch the, the viral video of our favorite pundit obliterating a college student. <laughs> we would rather see the crushing weight of sharp logic tear somebody to shreds than we would to see our demonstration of kindness that leads to transformation. The fruits of the Spirit have taken a back seat to rightness. I was sitting around a campfire a couple weeks ago with a group of guys, and we were talking about all these issues. And John Miller, I don't see him in here yet, but John Miller and his quiet wisdom, he just listens, he listens for a long time. And then he says, guys, why did we get suddenly so concerned with being right all the time? And we went, yeah, Why? When did this happen? How did this happen? But it's become an obsession. I know the crushing arguments. They might win that argument. They might. You might walk away and go, yeah, he had no response for that. In fact, he blocked me on Facebook. It was such a good retort. <laughs> Isn't that like the ultimate spike? Like, that's after you score a touchdown. That's a football reference, Pastor Joshua. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't that the ultimate way to, to dunk on a person is more common terminology? Oh, yeah, they blocked me. You guys, you can, you can win an argument and lose the person, and that means you've lost. For all our online sword rattling, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a person change their mind to their heart? 
Because I don't think I have. I don't think I have. And so, but yet we continue to engage in it as if this is the front lines of where people are at. It's not. It's not. I'm not suggesting that nobody's right in these conversations or that the answer is always in some squishy middle place. I don't believe that's true. But I'm saying I think our priorities have gotten wonky. I saw this quote. It was making the rounds this week on social media from Dr. Esau McCauley, who's a theologian. He said this. The darkest parts of Christian social media are the places where people have convinced themselves that their sincerely held doctrines release them from the responsibility to display the fruit of the Spirit. And that one cut me because it's true. Can I step on toes? I was remembering, I just used wonky, which is such a word from Janae, our dear Janae. I say that all the time. She would also love whenever I said I was going to step on toes. Yeah, do it. Do it. Step on. You don't even know what I'm going to say. Do it. <laughs> I see this happen all the time, and I see it happen on all different sides of arguments. I see, for example, this. You see a person stand up in a specific situation, it would be a conversation about justice and the person cares deeply about justice and so you hear something about this. This is a justice issue and I do not have to be kind. Kindness is a tool of the privilege to keep the status quo and I won't play that game. I will speak my truth however I want to speak it and I don't care who gets hurt in the process because I'm speaking on behalf of the marginalized. I also see this. If we lose this debate about economics or about politics, we lose everything and our country's gone. No more Mr. Nice Guy. David was a man of war and Jesus flipped over tables that time. So take it or leave it. I'm just going to say it however I want to say it and I don't care if I offend the tone police or anybody else. Do you see it? Do you see how people's deeply held convictions, how they think it releases them from displaying the fruits of the Spirit. You guys, the world's going to do what the world does. But that has no place in the lives of followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, then being right or believing you're right never excuses you from acting like Jesus. You know why? Because loving your neighbor like Jesus is not a means to an end. You don't love them so they'll agree with you. I think that's the mindset people have gotten in. Well, I tried love and they still don't agree with me. What? Was that your end game? I love so that you'll be more like me. Oh, you, you compassionate person. No. We love because Jesus loved us. We show respect and value and dignity to people even we hardcore disagree with because that's what Jesus did. That's the way of Christ. I know I'm hitting this hard, but here's why. I desperately want us to be a church 
that values people over arguments. I want us to win hearts. And the way you win hearts is to lead with kindness. If Jesus led with kindness, then who are we to deviate? Back to the verse. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I watched a documentary this weekend of a man that I've read articles about named Daryl Davis. And he's been in the news a lot in different times over the, the past decades. He is a professional musician. He's a black man who has become uh, a really unique figure in race relations. He has uh, uh, played with all, many of the greats of jazz and blues and, and rock and roll and country and all these. He's a phenomenal world-class piano player. And uh, in, in 1980, as the, the country scene was exploding, he was playing with a country band and touring all over the place. And he found himself in some honky-tonk bar in the South and he was the only black man in the bar. And after his a set, somebody came up to him and invited him to sit down and have a drink with him. And, and the man confessed, this is the first time I've ever had a, a drink with a black man. And he said, well, why is that? And the man got all sheepish. And his friend egged him on until he admitted that he was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And Mr. Davis sat there somewhat stunned that he's sitting having a conversation, but he decided he was not going to react, but he was just going to talk to him and be kind to him. And they got to the end of the conversation and ended up exchanging contact information, and he became friends with this man. And, and after this happened and these similar things happened, he went on his own personal mission, and that was to try to win Klansmen out of the Klan. And he has this incredible story where he would step into these people who, who, whose beliefs are so vile and whose, who, whose hatred is just tangible, and he would refuse to hate. He would sit across a table and say, now why do you believe that? He would refuse to get riled up. You guys, to this day, he's had many, many, many men come out of the KKK, and on, I think, 26 different occasions, they've given him their robes as like a, as a trophy. He has a garage full of robes. And I'm looking at this, and the documentary itself, I mean, it was, uh, um, it, it was kind of uncomfortable sometimes. Like some of the other different activists were very unhappy with, with what he was doing. And so I'm listening going, well, I can actually see why, like, this is a weird space. But there's something undeniably beautiful about what he's doing. Because he's, he's going after the individuals. He's going after people you would think are so far gone, could never come back. And he's a believer, by the way. And he sees the value in them, and he calls them back. Love covers a multitude of sins. And if you win them back, you will cover a multitude of sins. You see, when, when people are stripped bare of their allegiance like these men, love still covers them. Love covers. Love 
contains more and more damage that would be done if that person stayed on the path of destruction. Love covers. Now, I know that's an extreme example, but, but then I step back and say, well, is it? I mean, love covers us too. Love covers our rebellions. And it, it short circuits them. It stops us from continuing down destructive paths and who knows how many lives we would blow up if love didn't cover us. It covers our lust, it covers our hatred, it covers our slander, it covers our violence. Love covers the things we have done and the things we would have done had the Lord not captured our hearts. That is what love does. In our devotional, we have a question this week, or two questions to ponder. I'm gonna give them to you right now. Ask God, it says, is there anyone I need to confront in love and gentleness? Is there a wanderer that I need to go to and say, listen, I care about you. I'm concerned about you. Is there anyone in kindness that you need to come and invite to your table to listen, to have conversations, to wrestle together? And the second one is this. Is there anyone I have wounded in a past confrontation whose forgiveness I need to seek? Because very often, a wanderer is wandering because of a wound. Recently, I, I did this. I did this. I, I had a dear friend uh, that I went to school with and was, man, pretty much like first grade to 12, like... We were very, very close. He was in my wedding. And something happened in our relationship and we had just pretty much never talked. And, and it wasn't like we had a big rift, but the essence was this. He, he had come out, he was, his parents were in YWAM and he was in a Christian school with me. And, and then he had sort of like just started going a different way in his, in his thinking, in his philosophy, in his political beliefs, and then in his theology. And he decided that he didn't want to follow God anymore, and, and I didn't, like, know what to say. And I think maybe I was, I don't know if I was a little bit offended with him for it, or, or like, maybe I was hurt, like, why did you abandon this? Or I don't know what it was, but you guys, I stopped interacting with him. And and I, I started reflecting on it months ago, and I remember this, this moment in junior high when we were in the locker room, and, and there was this, this kid who hated me, and, and, and he, he, for some reason, called me a stupid little YWAMer, <laughs> stupid little YWAMer, and I'm like, whatever, like, and, and so my friend here steps up and goes, what did you call him? He said, I called him a stupid little YWAMer, and my friend said, stupid little hick? And it was go time. Like, it was like this. They were about to go and somebody else came and broke up the fight. But I suddenly remembered that moment. And I thought, man, that guy was there for me. And so I ended up drafting this long, and sending him this long message, even though we never, ever talk. And I said, I just want to let you know I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that, I, that my opinions were so big that I stopped relating to you and I cut you out of my life. And I didn't even mean to. I, it just kind of happened by default. 
but it happened because I cared more about the arguments and, and, and my opinions than I did about you, and that's just wrong. And I sent this long message, and, and, and his response was like, we ended up talking back and forth, and he's telling me all about his family, he's sending me pictures, and he was so moved. And I come to find out, he's been like, reading my stuff that I have, and I didn't even know. And he's like, I just want to know how much I admire, you know, you and what you're doing here and here. And it was just like opened up our relationship again. And he even said, hey, he goes, hey, I'm coming to the West Coast this summer. Maybe we could meet up. You guys, I don't know if he will ever come back to Jesus. I don't know. I hope he does. I would that all, everybody would come to the knowledge of truth and come be reunited with him. But I know separations like that don't have to happen. And whether he comes back to the Lord or not, he is worthy of, my, of, the, of me showing him dignity. Yes. He's worthy of my open ear and open heart to see where he is and to understand his journey better. Whether he, we ever see eye to eye on anything, he's worthy of that. Do you know why? Because he happens to have been made in the image of God himself. Our neighbors were created in his image. And that means, that means he's worthy of our love. You see that? So friends, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to ask God those questions. Lord, is there anyone I need to, to go after? Is there anyone I need to ask forgiveness to? Or maybe, maybe you yourself are a wanderer. And you would say, I need to come back to Jesus, the one who stands at the door and knocks in all gentleness. Elders, can you guys come forward? And